0: Hi everyone! Welcome to the It's Growing Season podcast. I'm your host Maggie and this series will be about all things related to real growth, true health and wellness, and learning to love and care for yourself. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I hope this podcast inspires you to invest in yourself more and to never stop growing into the best version of you. So without further ado, let's jump right into the show! hi everyone welcome back to the it's growing season podcast thank you so much for joining me today for episode 52 where i have a conversation with julia phoenix who is a love and leadership coach who works with women who have early childhood trauma to create close and supportive relationships in adulthood julia also has experience working with women in recovery from disordered eating and eating disorders In this episode, we dive into the connection between relationships and eating disorders and how we can learn to set boundaries and ask for what is most supportive for us. We talk about how our relationships, whether it be with our partners, family members, or friends, can support people in recovery and how to deal with unsupportive partners. And speaking on boundaries, it was a very difficult thing for me to not post last week because I've been so consistent with posting weekly but I recognized that I needed to set that boundary with myself and recognize that I was tired and I was overwhelmed with a lot of work so just not being too hard on yourself and I find a lot of parallels with that in our relationships and with you know in eating disorders as well so this is just a beautiful reminder for me that everything's okay I can be gentle with myself and we don't have to be so hard on ourselves all the time so yeah I really hope you enjoy this episode as usual you can find all of Julia's links in the show notes below and if you enjoy this episode I would love if you could leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts that would help me out a ton so yeah I really hope you enjoy this episode and without further ado let's dive right into the show hi Julia thank you so much for joining me today Hi,
1: Maggie. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you.
0: I'm very excited for our conversation today. But before we dive in, I would love if you could just introduce yourself a little bit so the listeners can get to know you first.
1: Well, just for starters, I'll I'll just say that my name is Julia Phoenix. Um, I am a relationship coach, a speaker and a transformational healer for women. So I help women uh, to align with the most fulfilling relationships in their lives, including, you know, forming a beautiful relationship with themselves.
0: And how did you get into the space of coaching and specifically working on like love and leadership? And also I understand that you work with women going through eating disorder recovery, right?
1: Yes, correct. So, I mean, it's difficult to know sort of where to start with that, but what I will say is that. It's not something that I ever pictured myself doing that I thought, you know, I didn't have a five-year plan or, you know, <laughs> when I was in college or anything that I was, yeah, that, I wanna do that. It was more so just something that developed really naturally based on my life experiences and uh, the, the situations and people that sort of uh, just fell into my lap and, and took on this sort of life of its own, felt a little bit bigger than me kind of a thing. So. As it's happened it sort of just feels like something that's materialized around me. <laughs> a lot of people um, don't necessarily relate to that answer or, or they don't feel that's maybe necessarily helpful to them if they're trying to get into a similar space but it's really I think how a lot of us find the work that are really really called to it uh, is it just it just starts to materialize and show up and 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 it happens naturally and gradually so I mean, I'll just share a little bit about myself. I grew up in Palo Alto, California, so pretty, you know, affluent neighborhood, upper middle class, uh, really from the outside looking in, probably looked like I really had sort of the perfect childhood, Um, you know, both parents still together and two cars in the garage, et cetera, good schools. Right. But the reality was really different than that, you know there was a lot of abuse that went on in my home. I actually grew up in a cult. My parents were involved in a cult and uh, my brothers and I grew up around this cult that had a lot of sort of dark stuff going on in the background. So that was there. And then there was also some sexual abuse in my home at the hands of my father. Uh, And, you know, many other things that were just, you know, dysfunctional and not so conducive to the development of a young girl in a healthy way right so i developed a lot of unhealthy coping mechanisms at an extremely early age actually in order to cope and i would say my first coping mechanism was food you know i remember being four years old and actually bringing food into bed with me you know and kind of hiding it under the covers you know and and almost like tucking Tucking myself in at night with that, right? And then the first time that I remember actually intentionally throwing up my food, I was eight years old. So really young. Uh, And then from there progressed as I got older into drugs and alcohol, um, cutting, uh, definitely relationship addictions, you know, Uh, pretty much just really trying anything that I could do to gain a sense of control over my body, over my environment, over the way that I felt. Uh, And it was, you know, um, it was a losing battle. Like I spiraled pretty hard. And by the time I was 23, I was addicted to heroin. And when I went into rehab was when things really started to shift for me. So I committed to my sobriety and I spent sort of like the majority of my twenties just trying to Uh, figure out how to live in a different way without utilizing these unhealthy coping mechanisms and that meant really diving into some of the deeper reasons some of the things from my past and from my childhood that I hadn't looked at so I did a lot of a lot of inner work a lot of 12-step work therapy all kinds of things Uh, and then you know through a really really challenging relationship in my life (laughs) like really painful toxic kind of like just really bad relationship, I found a few different mentors that really helped me a lot uh, to actually reconnect with my inner child. Uh, And I I did a lot of really deep inner child work. And just to understand on a deeper level how to be with myself, how to understand my emotions and set boundaries in my relationships, how to be authentic, you know, which I didn't know how to do how to um, allow my full expression and allow myself to take up space in the world. And these were some of the huge keys for my own eating disorder recovery as well. And you know, I was lucky enough to be trained by one of these mentors of mine that I mentioned, a woman by the name of Teal Swan. And I was trained to facilitate a process called the completion process. I was one of the first people that she trained to do that. And it was really just something where I went Thinking, this is going to be really interesting and fun. You know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to meet people. And it's just something that I'm interested in doing for my own healing. Like, I didn't think I was going to start a business with. By the way, I was also a teacher, early childhood education, and I was getting a master's degree in human development, right? So, developmental psychology was very much like a passion of mine. Uh, but I thought I was probably going to do something different with it. And I ended up being featured on her website, and people just ended up reaching out to me say, hey, do you do sessions for this? And I was like, I guess. you know. <laughs> so, so I started and, I, and it just started to kind of pick up steam, you know? Like I threw up a website for free on Wix, just didn't know what I was doing at all. It was something I was doing on the side. I was in a master's program and nannying at the time. And it just started to build momentum. I started to love it more and more. And eventually I started to build it up to where I could leave my other, jobs I was working and just focus on that. So very long story short, that's how I got into
0: this jam. Wow, (laughs) thank you so much for sharing. And what kind of people will typically come to you and kind of like what topics do you cover in your coaching? The
1: underlying thread for most people is pain and dysfunction around their relationships actually. So either feeling really, really lonely, or having really toxic and balanced relationships. Um, you know, I do get people who seek me out specifically for the work that I do around eating disorders, and that's a little bit different. But inevitably, what we find is that a lot of the issues that are feeding into the eating disorder do have to do with relationships, whether they're those early relationships or they are relationships that are more present currently where women aren't feeling um, safe to you know, speak their needs and boundaries, or uh, they feel like they can't receive the love that they really want, they're feeling sort of starving, right, even if they have people all around them. So I would say that's, that's the biggest thing. Another huge common thread that I find with a lot of women who come to my particular practice, and I always find this is interesting, like we attract usually the people with sort of the very wounds that we've had, You know, so that we because we know best, right? How to walk them through that. So, for me, one of the biggest things in my childhood was this experience of gaslighting, Mm. feeling like there was this whole other reality like all the weird, creepy cult stuff that was brushed under the rug, all the stuff that was happening with my father behind closed doors. And it's just like we just didn't talk about it. And if I had an emotion, you know, that was negative. If I had these behaviors that were coming out, which I mentioned, it's like there was something wrong with me, right? So I just ended up feeling crazy and feeling like I couldn't trust myself, right? Because no one was validating my experience. Nobody was mirroring to me accurately what was happening. Nobody was stepping into that reality with me. It was almost like I was living in parallel realities. You know, I was over here, everybody else was over here. That's a really lonely, confusing place to be. And I find that this is a really huge piece that's very common for a lot of women, particularly with bulimia actually, um, is is this piece of gaslighting. So women who have been very gaslit and feel confused about who they are, how they think and feel, they feel like they don't have a sense of uh, self that's very strong, they feel like they, can't really take ownership of who it is that they are and speak from that deep, authentic place within, you know, um, that is, you know, that is one of those really big underlying things that people come to me for and happen to be really good at helping women with that one. Because again, I've I've really been, been through the ringer with
0: it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so interesting how, you know, these coping mechanisms for relationships can turn into other problems that are just stem from, you know, not having healthy relationships growing up, especially a lot of childhood trauma. Um, yes. uh, like I personally, I've, you know, the people that I've talked to who have also struggled with eating disorders, a lot of it stems from childhood trauma. And I want to talk a little bit about the relationships, the relationship aspect of eating disorder recovery, or even when you're you know, in the midst of your eating disorder, how can relationships affect your relationship with food? So like relationships with your parents, your friends, especially like romantic relationships, how can that affect your relationship with food?
1: Oh my gosh, I love that you're asking this question. Thank you so much, Maggie. I love this because it's so, so hugely important. And I don't find it's necessarily talked about enough. Um, It is, uh, it's everything, you know, when we begin to look for certain, certain things, we'll begin to find again and again, that a lot of these triggers that sometimes we can't really find the roots for, right? We're like, why did I do that, right? Why did I just go off onto that spiral of restricting without binging or whatever? We'll find if we, if we kind of rewind the tape a little bit, there's something going on relationally. And a lot of the time with women who struggle with eating disorders, it has to do with boundaries. Women who have a difficult relationship with food are often trying to establish some kind of boundary, you know, in a physical way with their food. You know, that's one way in which it it sort of shows up. But if we're not feeling like we're being heard, if we're not feeling like our reality is being seen and heard and validated, if we're not feeling like we can speak up for ourselves, that's a huge one to just express, hey, no, actually, I'm not okay with that. Or I don't actually want to do that. Even simple things like, no, I don't think I really want to go with you to that party tonight. It's, it's like if we say yes when we mean no because we feel we have no choice and we feel out of control. And eating disorders obviously are, are a huge uh, control mechanism, which is a need, by the way. We actually need that feeling of, of having some kind of agency and choice in, in our life, right? Being able to impact our reality. But, you know, we'll we'll try to get it through that means. Or if we feel we can't express ourselves emotionally or we can't say what we really mean or how we really feel and be received in that, bulimia becomes also a way that we can sort of stuff down and then express through the purge. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it has a lot to do with our voice. It has a lot to do with our voice in relationship and ownership of our voice. And so in recovery, you know, I know for me, it was such a tremendous aspect of the recovery process was me just finding that voice first, being able to get in touch with it at all. Like how is this impacting me? What someone is saying or doing, you know? And then secondly, how can I actually bring that to the surface, bring that to light and what we find when, you know, when we work with women on that specific issue and and make progress, you know, like if a woman, for example, who is bulimic begins to, express boundaries, even in a small way, a small way. No, I don't want to go to that restaurant. I want to go to this restaurant, right? You'll see that there's like a a sense of empowerment that comes up and comes through. And and a woman will actually see, oh my God, I actually have a voice that I can use that impacts my reality. I can get my needs met, you know? (laughs) And, And also knowing that I don't have to choose either connection or My authentic self, like I can have both, and that's a huge, huge aspect, I think, of the eating disorder recovery process.
0: Oh my gosh, this is so relevant to my life right now! Like, (laughs) you just saying this, you know, how we planned for this episode, we planned to record this last week, but this, like, what you're talking about now, is relevant to my life this week. So, oh my gosh, I love it! I love it when this kind of stuff happens, it's just like perfect timing, yeah. Wow, but um, yes, I was gonna say just adding on to what you were talking about, like authenticity part, food is something that we can control. And when we feel like we can't show up as our most authentic selves, actually, let me rephrase that. I think eating disorders, it makes you feel like you're another person, but then you completely forget who you are innately because you define yourself based off of your physical appearance and also the food that you consume. But when Mm -hmm. you actually start healing that inner child and start seeing yourself for who you really are, it's kind of like, wow, I actually have a voice and I have an identity outside of what people typically know me as. Uh, Mm -hmm. I have an identity outside of my relationship with food, my relationship with exercise and my relationship with my physical, like my outer appearance. And I think Mm -hmm. that's so beautiful because you start realizing that you're so much more, you're so much you can expand and be such a, like a much bigger person than shrinking yourself because you didn't feel like you had a voice. Yes. I think this, this metaphor
1: of sort of taking up space is really, um, appropriate, you know, to kind of use in, in this case, like there is this, uh, There's sort of a terror, I think, that a lot of women feel around that, maybe because of some of the consequences that they either saw growing up or that they experienced maybe growing up where they tried to express themselves in in an authentic way in the world. And maybe they were thwarted, right? Like they were punished they were rejected. They were told they were wrong or crazy or stupid or bad. And so they shoved those aspects of them aside. And, you know, we we pretend, right? We pretend to be the good girl. We're always going to do and identify with what keeps us safest in our environment, right? So for a lot of women, that means we're going to be nice. That's what gets us the most safety. That's what gets us approval, which, right, is kind of close to Um, the experience of love, sometimes as close as we can get, right, Is we want approval from people. That's a valid human need. It's okay to want approval, you know. By the way, if anyone's listening and they're like, oh, we shouldn't need anyone's approval. No, it's a human need, actually. We need other people's approval. It's actually a a basic human need. So, So, you know, we want those things. We need those things. We actually need those things to feel Safe, even on a biological level, as a child, because our caregivers are linked to our physical survival, right? So our systems are wired to be able to preserve that connection, right? So we're going to become whatever it is the people around us need us to be growing up. For a lot of women, again, that's you're the nice girl, right? So I became a preschool teacher, you know, and I was still. So nice. I was preschool teacher Julia, always smiling, always nice to your kids, you know, just that sweet little blonde girl. And inside there was like this raging wild woman, right? And she would come out at night and just devour the refrigerator, right? And, and just felt like this wild animal. You know, and the the restriction had a lot to do with, I feel like, this, uh, this perfection and this control around this image that I was trying to portray and like forcing myself to sort of, um, yeah, take up less space, to be more acceptable, to fit inside the box, uh, to be able to control my physical space and also other people's perceptions of me somehow. Right. So it's kind of for me, since I had I had the relationship between both the anorexia and the bulimia, it was sort of like a dance between the two. You know, like I would have a period of time where I was, you know, straight A student, like you know, highly type A perfectionist type of uh type of a thing. And then I would kind of go on these massive binges and and just completely fly off the deep end, right? Um, Both are symptomatic of not feeling connected to my authentic self and my authentic expression. So, yeah, and I I think, you know, what I also wanna share about this is that sometimes like if if someone is listening out there and, and is struggling with an eating disorder, it may sound like a really vague sort of, Big amorphous thing to like just, oh, yeah, just connect with my authenticity, right? It's not something that happens overnight and it's not something that's really, really easy to tap into because these programs run so deep. So, you know, what I would really recommend is just actually starting to get in touch a little bit more with the way that you feel and really doing some form of therapy with someone who can help create a safe space for you where you can start practicing expression of your truth in small incremental steps, right? In a safe container with a safe person, because it's like, why are we not authentic with people? Because we don't feel safe. So we have to create that safety, that safe container um, to connect first to our own embodiment. Our body holds the truth of how we really feel and think and connect with the emotions which live inside of our body. And then create a space or, or, you know, allow for a space where we can begin to bring that forward bit by bit in a way that is uh, manageable, but will help guide you towards that sort of outward flowering.
0: Mm. And I guess a fear that could come up with tapping into your authentic self is, what if the people around me don't like my authentic self? What if people around me start falling away? And then you start identifying with you with your eating disorder because that's what you perceive as the most likable by other people. Mm. So, how do you learn to cope with that if other people, you know, like quote unquote, like a version of you more than who you truly are in the inside?
1: Yeah, that's a really, really great question. And I think this is really. Uh, a huge core of it right because as I said like we fear the loss of connection more than anything and so it's another reason why we have to practice kind of sharing smaller things a little bit at a time opening up in a safe container like a therapeutic container to sort of see that we can have this experience of somebody staying with us and not leaving us and not rejecting us or disconnecting from us when we express boundaries. However, the truth is, is that, you know, we may lose people. Okay, I'm not going to sugarcoat that or gaslight anyone around that. That's the reality, because sometimes people are attached to us, are connected to us, because, you know, of how we show up, which happens to be unauthentic for us, you know, because we show up and we caretake their emotions, right, in ways that once we sort of a little further in our recovery we sort of realize and decide we don't want to do you know like i don't i don't actually want to do that for that person anymore they may not like that and it might not work for them anymore to be connected with you however i think we come to a place where the inauthenticity becomes so painful that we're almost just willing to take that risk, you know? I know that that's the way it was for for me. You're nodding your head, so maybe was it like that for you too? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. because you start to recognize how painful that is, how exhausting it is to pretend all the time, how painful it is to be running around really disconnecting, like disconnected from yourself, you know? Um, How empty you feel and how lonely you feel, again, no matter how many people are around you. And so to me, getting to that, that point in time, it was kind of like, I don't know if I can curse on your uh, on your podcast. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> F it, yeah, so fuck it. It's like, fuck it, man. Like, what do I have to lose, right? And the truth is you also have everything to gain because if you lose someone because you express what's authentic and true for you, we've gotta think about what it is you're, we're really losing, right? Is that a connection with you? Is that an actual friendship? Or is that, um, a relationship that, you know, is not actually based on a foundation of something real, you know, and this is the way, this is what I always share with my clients, you know, especially when they're going through that uncomfortable process of transition that we often go through, right. Where we're kind of got one foot in the old world and one foot in the new world. And some, some, we're getting mixed reactions, right. For how we're starting to show up in the world. Um, you know, this is really how we align with those people who are compatible to us, those people who will receive us in our boundaries and our authentic expression of our truth. And not only will they not push us away or not like it, um, they will really pull us closer, you know, because it's gonna be, we're gonna be expressing values that they align with from the get-go, right? Mm -hmm. And we'll also probably align with people who are healthier and you know, you know, that they get to have their own boundaries too and want you to have boundaries inside of a relationship. Imagine that, right? And once you start experiencing connections like that, oh my God, you will never want to go back. Why? Why would you ever want to go
0: back? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That is so beautiful. And I'm just curious how, Romantic partners or even mm. friends can support a loved one in their recovery. I know it's very difficult, especially if the partner or friend has no experience with eating disorders or their own recovery. But how can someone that, let's maybe let's split this into two questions. Let's say, mm. as someone who has never experienced this kind of stuff, how can you support someone who is healing? And also, as someone who too has experienced it, how do you support another person who is going through the process that you've already gone through or are going through as well? Yeah, that's, that's,
1: those are both really beautiful questions. So speaking to the first one first, you know, I do think that it's helpful to educate oneself on, you know, what this actually is, you know, and to understand that, you know, it is a condition that is blameless. It's not this person's choice or their fault it's not their choice on a conscious level to be participating in it it should be treated like um you know i have type 1 diabetes and i often will compare it and be like it's it's literally the same thing (laughs) like i didn't choose to have type 1 diabetes Mm -hmm. right so that that sort of takes some of the um the blame out that sometimes can can sneak its way in there or judgment because those are things that we really want to be mindful of if we're trying to support someone in recovery from an eating disorder, because the truth is, you know, like we're already hard enough on ourselves. We're already in so much self-judgment and often in many cases, self-hatred that, you know, judgment or harshness or blame or criticism or pushing in any way, we're not going to respond really favorably to that. Like what we actually need is a little bit of a softer approach, usually. And I would say the most healing thing that a partner or friends have ever done for me is just to be unconditionally present with me and to let me know that no matter if I have an eating disorder or not, whether I binge and purge or not, whether I'm this way or that way, right, they're gonna love me just the same, and they're still gonna be here. That was what I needed, and it's actually the opposite of what I got in my family system. Unfortunately, you know, my mother—I remember her banging on the door of the bathroom when I was throwing up and just yelling, like, "You're so disgusting! Why do you do this?" You know, just and then this kind of, "Why are you doing this to us, <laughs> right? Why are? Why can't you stop?" Obviously, this is the type of thing that's not helpful. It's really further damaging. What I needed was for somebody to actually get in the bathroom with me and sit down with me on the bathroom floor and say, it's okay, whether or not you choose to do this, I'm here with you. That's the power of actual connection to heal.
0: Wow. I love that perspective. Typically, when I think about boundaries, I think about what I don't want and telling people what I don't want, right? But what you're saying is, it's okay. And it's also very important to tell people what you actually do need, like what you need to receive in that moment. It's just as important.
1: Absolutely. So like, for, for the person in recovery, it's, it's really important to be able to say, like, I recognize that you're trying to help. And uh, this is a way that you could help me better. You know, <laughs> right. Um, and, and to kind of offer those suggestions and that input. I think also all of that said, you know, even though that's that's such a powerful piece, and I will always remember, actually, just before I go on to this next thing, I'll always remember one of the most impactful things in my recovery during my very last relapse that I ever had was my best friend uh, calling me up on the phone and I was crying, and I told her that I was about to purge. And she said, I always, like, I well up with tears every time I say say this, but she said that she would come over and hold my hair back for me. (sighs) And I think, like, that's really an unconventional way to approach it, right? That's not something people normally would think to say or something that we normally hear. But what that was saying to me was that she didn't feel this, like, she didn't feel like I was as disgusting as I felt. Right? She didn't feel like that action was worthy of this rejection. She actually wanted to just be there with me. And it was okay for me to be suffering in that way or to be struggling in that way. All of that said, I think especially if you have experience with addiction or eating disorders, and some of this stuff triggers you, which it might, whether you've had parents that, you know, had addictions or eating disorders or, or you know, other problems that you felt responsible for, or whether it triggers feelings of unsafety for you or um, fear around loss or, or things like that. First of all, it's really important for people to take care of themselves around those triggers that are coming up and get their own kind of help, their own support network, their own therapy. Uh, and then also Setting loving boundaries, expressing loving boundaries in a way that you know is not shaming or punishing to the person, but in a way that you also get to take up space in that connection. So, I'm saying offering that unconditional presence, provided that it feels okay for you to do so, otherwise, it's not going to work anyway, right? (laughs) Yeah, so this requires a lot of communication, it requires a lot of communication around what's happening. Beneath the surface, you know, and, and how we're both feeling and what we're both needing,
0: you know. Just to also avoid triggering one another, because you're both going through this process, and you don't want to accidentally make it harder for the other person, right? It has to be a supportive journey. Exactly. Yeah, and I also my I started tearing up when you were talking about your friend because mm-hmm. it made me think about the people that have been so supportive on my journey, and it truly made me reflect on how important loving relationships are, especially when you're healing, because you recognize that you don't have to do it alone. And yes. eating disorders are so isolating. You think that, oh my gosh, it's only me. Like, why is no one else obsessed with food? Like this is, I'm the only person going through this, but then you realize that you don't have to go through it alone and you can ask for help. You can set boundaries, but you can also receive love and support from the people around you who do just want for you to get better. Yes, exactly, and you're worthy
1: of that, and you're not alone, and this is the other reason why I do feel like it's really important when someone's in a recovery process to connect with other people who are in recovery, other people who probably are in a similar place to where they are, and also other people who've gone through it and are on the other side. You know, I, I will always remember um, this woman, she was actually my sponsor in the 12 step program I was using to quit drinking and using, but She was a a survivor of bulimia and she had bulimia for like 18 years and she was better. She wasn't binging and purging anymore. And so I would talk to her about this and I felt safe to share with her about what was going on, the thoughts and feelings that I was having, the behaviors that I was doing. And she was always such a loving, safe space for me. And there was something about just knowing that she had been where I've been and, and nothing I shared with her, like surprised her at all you know, like she, she had done all of it. Like she knew all of it. There were some stories where I was like, wow, okay, <laughs> you really get it, you know? Um, and yet she, uh, she wasn't living like that anymore. She had freedom from that. And that's so, so important to, to have that hope and to also be guided by someone who's been through it because it's so true. Addictions of any kind, including eating disorders are so isolating, but I think eating disorders more than anything. Um, maybe more than anything, let's say more than most is an addiction that really thrives in the secrecy and shame. Yeah. Like it lurks in the shadows. We do not talk about it. People can be alcoholics and go out drinking. right? I don't know any bulimics that binge and purge together. Yeah. Let's just put it that way. Like we are alone when we're going through this and we have this idea that like, it's just us and we're just some alien freak that has it. no, actually it's a condition. There's like millions of people that have this condition. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you meet those people when you start to speak these things and they start to share their stories it starts to dissolve that shame yeah. you know and then the healing can really really start to begin it's one of the reasons why 12 step programs are so effective actually
0: mm. And how would you deal with an unsupportive partner or someone who's, they don't want to understand or, and obviously this just means that it's probably not the right relationship to be in, but a lot of the times it's, it's very difficult to just leave a relationship or to kind of let someone go. So how would you advise someone who's going through that um, to kind of navigate that kind of difficult relationship?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, If you're with a partner who is open and available to go to some kind of counseling with you, that can be helpful. If they're one of those people that's just not open at all and they're just kind of set on, you know, shaming you around it and not wanting anything to do with it. it's really uh, detrimental to your recovery, yes, ultimately that's probably not a compatible partner for you, but what I would work on doing if you're feeling really stuck in that situation, because I get it, you can't always just let go of your primary attachment figure, right? That, that's, your, the attachment really is, is a difficult thing to just sever from, especially when you're going through something that's so intense emotionally. What I would, what I would recommend is really building up your support network outside of that relationship. Mm-hmm. really, you know, building your support network, your team of people, uh, professionals that are helping you and um, friendships, like, because it's difficult to, I always say it's difficult to let go of one hand if you don't have someone else's hand to hold. And it doesn't have to be, I'm not talking about like dancing from partner to partner. I'm talking about, it can't be that you're letting go of someone, this, this massively important figure in your life, and then you're just alone. Yeah. Like that's not going to work. Right. So we need a supportive network of people who actually are meeting those needs, who do want to show up in supportive ways, really leaning on them and knowing that they're there before we can start to make plans to, you know, to leave that relationship.
0: Yeah. And obviously it's important to eventually be able to, you know, work through a lot of these things yourself and be, you know, and be independent mm-hmm. and to love yourself. But when you're healing, it, that's That's way too difficult. When you spent so long of your life disliking yourself, it's very hard to just suddenly find like a whole bunch of love within yourself. Self-love has a very like, it's a very iffy topic because obviously we all want to love ourselves, but sometimes it just, it's, it's hard to give ourselves that love. Sometimes you need it from your relationships and the people around you to show you that love is possible and that you don't have to do it alone so I love the metaphor just like you know holding the people around you and receiving that support from them and eventually being able to love yourself like that is always the end goal right being able to love and care for ourselves but you know when you're in the process of healing and recovering it might not be possible so you need those supportive systems around you.
1: I could not agree with you more, Maggie. I really couldn't agree more there. And I think that this rhetoric that's being thrown around, especially in coaching circles, actually uh, about just like loving yourself and being independent and not needing anyone there. There's so much of that that has this air of toxicity about it, first of all. And secondly, just won't be helpful to specific people at specific phases in their journey. Like, you know, I've been throwing up my food since I was eight years old, cutting since I was 13 years old. Like I'm not somebody that was just going to be able to wake up one day and read a self-help book and love herself. Like, no. And also how was I supposed to know what that even was or what that even felt like? I didn't know. I remember my intake for um, the last place that I went to eating disorder uh, treatment. That was one of the best experiences that I ever had in treatment um, years ago, maybe 11 years ago now, but in my, I was sitting there in my intake and I was saying all these things. I, I think I was being really hard on myself, you know, and this woman looks at me and she's just like, wow, I, you know, I'm so sorry that you haven't gotten the help that you needed. Like I was like, well, yeah, I mean, you'd think I would have gotten it by now, right? Like, that kind of thing and she's like no that's not what i'm thinking at all like i'm so sorry that you've been going through this and you haven't been able to get the right kind of support you know and i just melted down because just her meeting me with that softness that gentleness you know that sense of approval it it did something to me because i i didn't know what that even felt like I was so then that imprinted a new pattern. It imprinted something in my brain and in my body that let me know, ah, this is what it is to love yourself. Right. And that's how it works with relationships. We we really do need both.
0: Yeah. I love this so much. And mm-hmm. I have one last question to end the podcast. But yeah. before that, if listeners could take away one lesson from our conversation today, what would you say that would be? <sighs>
1: You are worthy of having relationships with people in your life. You do not have to dim down, change, or suppress any aspect of who you are in order to be loved and accepted.
0: I love that. Mm -hmm. And for my last question of the podcast, this is something that I ask every guest that comes onto my show. Since my podcast is called It's Growing Season, I believe that just like crops, humans go through different seasons of their life. So I wanted to ask you, how would you define this specific season in your life?
1: Ooh. (laughs) Um, The word that keeps coming up as I'm just kind of tapping in is redefinition. I'm going through a redefinition process. Uh, so I don't know which actual season that might be if we're think, talking about like literal four seasons. I don't know if that was actually your question. That's
0: no, okay. okay.
1: I'm in a season of redefinition. <laughs> it's actually rather exciting recognizing that, you know, this actually ties into what we've been talking about, recognizing that nobody else has the power to define me, to define who I am, what I'm capable of, you know, what I can and can't do. Um, I get to define that. Uh, it's an exciting process of going deeper with you know, looking at and tossing out old ideas about who I am or what I'm creating or what I want and really digging to find like, what's even more true. What's even deeper there. So.
0: Wow. That has got to be one of my favorite answers I've heard. Really, <laughs> <Yes. Excellent. laughs> I love it. Um, and for listeners who are curious to learn more about you, where can they find you and where can they find your content?
1: Yeah, I would love, love, love to connect with any of your listeners. You can find me on Facebook as Julia Phoenix. I love new Facebook friends, you can connect with me there. Uh you can email JP11. 11 is spelled out like the word, not like a number, at gmail.com, jp11 at gmail.com, or you can go to my website, juliaphoenix11 at uh, com. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, at no. <laughs> Julia JuliaPhoenix11.com. Again, 11 is spelled out like the word, not like the number. i love to hear from you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today, Julia. This is such mm. a beautiful conversation and I really appreciate you just taking the time to speak with me and my audience today. I appreciate you so much too, Maggie. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to leave me a review and give me a follow And you can also find me on my Instagram at mags.lee and at It's Growing Season, as well as my website, which is growwithmaggie.com, and you'll be able to find all of this in the show notes below. Thank you so much again for taking the time to listen, and I hope to see you in a future episode. Bye, everybody!